Are you looking to build your church's group ministry? Get the training and resources you need with All Access, a new plan from the Small Group Network. I'm James Browning with the Small Group Network. For $49 a month or just $4.90 a year, you get All Access to courses, workshops, coaching, and more. Plus, half off all of our in-person events, including The Lobby and Accelerate. And the best part is, All Access is a church-wide license. That means every staff member, every volunteer, and every leader at your church is included for that same price. Head over to smallgroupnetwork.com slash allaccess to learn more and compare plans. All Access is your community unlocked. Welcome to Leadership Journey, part of the Group Talk Network of Podcasts. Join Bill Search as he walks you through biblical Christian leadership, gives you keys to personal growth and development, as well as dynamics of leading others that honors God. Open your heart and mind and enjoy Leadership Journey with Bill Search. Well, welcome uh, to the Leadership Journey. I'm your host, Bill Search, and I have the privilege today of welcoming to this podcast one of my favorite authors on leadership. I came across his books uh, several years ago, and I continue to use them. The first one I read was Leaders Who Last, and then Mistakes Leaders Who Make. And uh, so I would like to introduce to everybody Dave Kraft. Dave, thanks for being with us today. Well, it's a joy, Bill. Thanks for inviting me. Dave, just give us a little nickel tour. I I know your uh, ministry background because I've sort of mixture of cyber stalked you through the years and connected with you through the years. But just give like the nickel tour of some of your ministry experience, some of the highlights uh, of your ministry experience, so people have a context for who you are. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm Jewish, which is interesting in and of itself. I became a Christian when I was twenty. A couple of years after that, I met the Navigators, and in 1964, we're going back a lot of years now, I moved into the L.A. area, got trained with the Navigators, and it's been a very interesting, circuitous journey. I've been in Washington State, been in Colorado. We served uh, in Europe. I'm very interested in what's going on with Europe, obviously, at this point. We served in Europe for eight years in Sweden with students, working with business people in churches. Came back to the United States. Uh, I got involved in something called the Colossians 2-7 series, which is still being used today. That took us to various places, uh, Southern California, Colorado, Washington, then back to Southern California today. I was part of a large megachurch for a number of years. Then I left that and started professionally coaching, which I've been doing for 17 years, and which I continue to do. And during those uh, years, I, by God's grace, wrote three books, Leaders Who Last, that you mentioned, Mistakes who leader, uh, mistakes Leaders Make, and then Learning Leadership from Nehemiah. And so very grateful for the journey. I'm not through yet. I'm on the last lap, but I can see the finish line a little bit down the road. But my uh, philosophy is it's okay to be tired, but not retired. Oh, I like that. So, so even, even though I'm 82, I still have a, a fizz in my Coke tread on my tires and gas on my tank, and I'm going to keep going. I love it. I love it. That's inspiring. I think that uh, in our culture today where uh, you sort of sometimes feel put out to pasture when you hit a certain age, there is uh, always a pasture to pastor, I suppose. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Well, just uh, another little context question. Besides the Bible, um, who has shaped your view of leadership through the years? Maybe there's a number of answers there. Maybe there's one primary person. But I'm just curious. I always love this question when asking other leaders because we all draw sustenance from different people. So I'll already credit you, the Bible and every person in the Bible and God. But beyond that, who? Well, there's several. That's a tough question. I get this question all the time. I'm a voracious reader. I read on the average of 30, 35 books a year. I've been doing so for 25 or 30 years. So I have favorite authors. If there's one author, uh, two, I would say two that have significantly impacted the way I think about things. One is Bobby Clinton, who chaired the first leadership development department at a seminary in the country and right here in my backyard in Pasadena. And then another one, not so well known, but he's probably written six or eight books. I've read every one of them. His name is Bill Eason. Uh Bill is probably, uh, he's around where I am. He's 81, 82, somewhere in there. But he, he upsets the apple cart. One of the first books I read by Bill was called Sacred Cows Make Gourmet Burgers. 
I love it. That got me thinking right away. So he's a guy who thinks unconventionally, uh, uh, marches to a different drummer, colors outside the lines, and I just love everything and anything he's ever written. Anybody who listens to this podcast since the beginning knows Bobby Clinton because I have... Oh, I've just verbally gone through becoming a leader. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to Wheaton for grad school, but we leaned heavily into some of Bobby Clinton's leadership material, right. and uh, that's pretty fantastic. It's hard to beat that guy, and Billy some also another one of those. You're right. Mm-hmm. It's a name that may not be a household name, but should be when it comes to Christian leadership. So good. Thanks, yes, Dave. Yes, yes. That That's always good. I always love the question of, of – um, books. And we're going to come back to the book question, either in this podcast or the next one. So be thinking about that. What are your favorite books? So speaking of books, this is a passion area of yours. As as we've already mentioned, uh, you've written on this topic, three books, which can be uh, gotten on Amazon. I checked. You can still get them there. But um, what, why, of all the different topics in ministry, why this one? What is it burning in you that makes you revisit this time and again, particularly in you know the calling that you have to both shape leaders, but develop leaders, coach leaders? Why? That's you asking great questions, Bill. I love your questions. There was a point in time when I maybe call a midlife crisis or half time where I got to thinking about, okay, I've I've done this up to this point. Now what's the rest of the journey going to look like? And I got to thinking about how could I make the best possible contribution? And my thinking went along the lines, well, I can meet with individual people, disciple them, help them, encourage them, pray for them, weep for them, resource them. But what would happen if I just started to focus almost exclusively on leaders who then would impact lots of other people? Uh, Malcolm uh, uh, called, I think, Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers. No, it's not Outliers. It's another one. I can't remember the title of the book, but it refers to tipping point people. Uh, John Maxwell refers to them as influencers. So to find an influencer who's not only going to take what you give them, but is immediately going to begin to share it with other people, it has a multiplying factor. So, for example, if I'm coaching, which I do, a young man who's in India, who's planting churches all over India, all I have to do is invest in this one guy and I'm impacting thousands of churches through him. On the other hand, if I impact one person, he keeps it and he profits from it, but doesn't do anything with it, I've impacted one person. So I thought, well, that's a no brainer. From this point on, I should be spending the majority of my time with multiplying leaders. All right. So before you move on, because uh, I know I asked you a big question, and there's probably like point two and three in that. That one question, though, uh, is a puzzler for me. How do you identify the leader of influence, that kind of person? Because so often in church ministry, and some of the people listening to this, they're they're just looking for someone who can fog a mirror for leadership. So we've got people, and that's I, I shouldn't be so disparaging in that comment, but you know, we have the people who like just do it because we ask them. But how do we identify those people that we ought to spend more time with? I mean, navigators, I got to believe, had systems in place, but what oh, have yeah. you learned through oh, the yeah. years to identify that kind of person? Well, there's various words you can use. Uh, Brad Lomelick wrote a book, Lomelick, I think is the way he pronounced his name. Hungry, Humble, and Hustle. I mean, he's got a book called The Three H's. Or, uh, I'd have to look up the title. I don't have it on the tip of my tongue. So that's three things you're looking for. Is, is the guy humble? Is he, is he dependent? Is he truly in love with Jesus and abiding in Jesus and depending on Jesus? And is he hungry? Not just, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, maybe I could do that. No, he's eager. He's hungry. He's hanging on the screen door when you open it in the morning. He's, he's ready to go. And then does he have gas in his tank? Is he hustle? Is he, is he the kind of guy who wants to make things happen? Uh, and the navigators, we used to refer to, look for the man with a hat. Uh, humble, available, teachable. So is he teachable? Does he want to learn? Is he hungry to learn? And so I, part of it's intuitive. Part of it, I'm running through words in my head. I, I, do a, I usually do a survey or an interview with somebody before I get engaged with them. And I want you to tell me about your ministry. What does it look like? How many re- people report to you? 
if, if he has a lot of direct reports, like I can coach one guy when I first got in with him, he said, There's, I have about 70 people that are on my broad team and nine direct reports. And I thought, well, there's a guy right there. If I can impact him, I'm in, impacting nine and the other 70 he works with. So that was in his business. Then in the church, he was leading two different groups, one with uh, young men and one with couples. Well, what more do I need to ask him? I'm going for it. So you you really that's the that's it. It's the diagnostic of tell me who you're ministering to, ministering with. That's that kind of helps. I mean, the person right. sometimes you're working with very young leaders who are at the beginning of a journey and you don't know if they will or won't have big influence, but on the other yeah. hand, if you're talking to someone who's 40 and uh and and they say, "Hey, I want to I want to be a leader." and you say, well, tell me where are you leading? And they say, nowhere exactly. yet. This, the probably probably not going to lead anything at that point. It could happen. I mean, it well, could happen, but it's it's less apt, right? Then you're looking for characteristics. Um, hmm. I mean, you could, if you're just sitting with somebody and talking, are they animated? Are they engaged? Are they excited? Are they? Now, it's not a personality thing. I've gotten away mm-hmm. from that. Well, only extroverts that are crazy, you know, let's go for it kind of guys, high eyes on the desk. Because I've met leaders of large churches that were very quiet, reserved. So it's not the personality thing. It's something else inside of them. They feel a calling to impact and and have influence with other people. I mean, they are deliberately out after it, searching for it, seeking it. And that can be any personality type. Mm-hmm. That's really wise because in the era of Enneagram and before the Enneagram was Myers-Briggs and before Myers-Briggs or during Myers-Briggs was DISC and before all that I think was Taylor Johnson. And, you know, I'm sure that right after they left the Garden of Eden, somebody came up with a personality inventory. We just haven't (laughs) dug it up out of the – it's in cuneiform, but it's out there somewhere waiting to be dug up in the desert. So uh, that is wise to, yeah, I'm an extrovert, but I met plenty of extroverts that can't lead themselves. And I've, I've certainly served under some phenomenal right. introverts before. So yeah, uh, yeah. And it, actually, if I have a bias towards leaders, I bias towards introverts, you know, because uh, I know my proclivities is to right. get drawn off sides in crazy conversations. So, um, yeah, well, um, so, um, you know, obviously there's the, the, the leverage piece that is, I mean, that's maybe a worldly term, but, but as a leader, you're investing in other leaders that, that grow influence, that, that uh, make an impact. But is there anything else in the realm of leadership that just fires you up, that, that draws you to it so much that you've spent time thinking about it, writing about it? Well, I'm just on the hunt for these. I have, I, I pray about that. I pray often that God would lead me to those kinds of people that I'd be able to find them. And that also I would be careful in not forcing myself, pushing myself on someone who really doesn't want it because somebody else thinks they need it. I've gone down that road a few times. So you're talking to the senior pastor and say, I'd love to coach somebody on your staff. Hey, well, how about, I think Jim would be a great guy to coach. The pastor's view of Jim and Jim's view of himself is totally different. Jim is not interested. He he doesn't he doesn't have he doesn't think he has the time. So uh, I'm very I'm very picky at this point. At my age, I don't have that much time left. I'm on the last lap. I've lived probably ninety six percent of my life. So I'm very picky at this point who I'm willing to get involved with. I need to be absolutely sure, as much as I can, humanly speaking that they're motivated, that they're hungry, that they really want it, that they're going to do something with it beyond just using it themselves. That's, you know, how many times as a pastor, you had someone call up and say, hey, would you call my husband? He really needs somebody to disciple him. Right. And uh, if depending on the church and your time and your you know inclinations, you call up the guy. And even when the wife says, he's waiting for your call, and you call him up and you realize, this was a setup. There is oh, yeah. nothing in this guy that wants this phone call to come through. Hey, you want to grab a cup of coffee? Yeah, I'm available next uh, November. And uh, yeah, well, uh, okay, that's good. Well, um, you know, another way of, of asking this question is, you know, what's at stake here? If we get this right, this uh, leadership thing right, uh, 
what's it what's the outcome and if we get this wrong what's the outcome when you say get this leadership right or wrong you mean the well i i yeah we we're talking primarily i think the people who listen in are are are, they're working in some area of leadership and so they're thinking through different paradigms of leadership and there's there's always uh, different movements of leadership that come and go. And so if we, if we get it right, lead our people well, lead our environments well, uh, or if we do so poorly, you know, what's, what's on the fence here? What's, on the, what, what's really at stake here? Well, it's, it has two parts to it, uh, I think. Lead yourself and lead others. So it starts with taking care of yourself. And when I'm coaching, that's the first thing we, we camp on is let's talk about, about leading yourself first before we talk about leading others. Let me talk about your personal relationship with Jesus. What spiritual disciplines are you practicing? Sleeping, eating, exercise, time with your family. Uh, we talk about how you utilize your weeks, 106, 168 hours in a week. Where are they going? How are you spending them and investing them? And then we talk about uh, leading others. I use the idea of let's start with you taking care of yourself and the key relationships in your life. Because I don't think an unhealthy leader can lead a healthy team or a healthy church or lead any team or church. Uh, so taking care of yourself first. And then we talk about your, your leadership. And recently I've come across some brand new concepts that I'm using almost with all of my coaching clients. It's called Lead, Develop, Care. If people want to go to my website, davecraft.org, and just type in Lead, Develop, Care, there's a post that comes up with all the details about what this is. And it, it, it goes around the idea of a leader with those people looking to them for leadership has three primary responsibilities, to lead them, to develop them, and to care for them. And I think one of the primary responsibilities of a leader is to develop other leaders. We're back to Exodus 18, the big mistake that Moses made. And it's as relevant today as it was, you know, more than 2,000 years ago, 25, whatever it is, years ago, that you're going to kill yourself, exhaust the people, exhaust yourself if you don't develop other leaders. So all the busyness of ministry and everything that goes on in a local church, that has to happen but you have to carve out hours every week to pour into lead, develop, and care for a handful of leaders, or you're not going to make it. You know, I, I loved that. Maybe that's one of the things I love most about leaders who last is I remember, uh, and I enjoyed going through this with different up-and-coming leaders, is, uh, is a, I think you, is, you articulated as like the power of a leader, the, mm-hmm. the, but you're dealing with the interior situation of a leader right. that right. you can't really give away what you don't have. I mean, you can learn some tricks. We've seen it happen. I mean, you can certainly learn methodology and you can, you can employ that methodology and it can be effective for a while, but it cannot be effective indefinitely. And so... I, I really love in the realm of leadership, and to me, that's what distinguishes Christian leadership from secular leadership, is that in Christian leadership, there's much more emphasis on you lead from a place of integrity inside, and okay. then out of a love of neighbor, then yeah. you focus on the outside, that right. is the people around you. But on the other hand, if you only focus on the inside and become self-centered, that's not good either. Right. And so there are those traps. I'm going to work externally or I'm going to work internally exclusively. And, uh, and I guess that's, that's, well, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's never either, or it's, well, no. either I'm going to lead myself or I'm going to lead others. Oh no, it's you lead yourself so that you can lead others. You gotta, it's both and not either or. So uh, that kind of, I was leaning into this next question here in my last statement. And that is, you know, in your mind, what is the difference between secular leadership and Christian leadership? Uh, and there's there's a reason behind my question. In okay. so many churches today, you mentioned up up at the top, uh, you read a lot of books. You've mentioned Malcolm Gladwell, great mm-hmm. author. Probably half the people or most of the people listening to this have a Malcolm Gladwell book somewhere on a shelf. Whether they read it or not, they own a book, right? Or Patrick Lencioni, and oh, yeah. and uh, and uh, you know, there's there's just wonderful books out there, and uh, and but it's more and more 
it seems in church settings that we're drawing our leadership clues and cues from the secular world. And I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing, but where is, where is that line where it moves from a good thing into a bad thing, or at least where we would identify this is distinctively Christian leadership. This is the difference between what the world offers. My thinking would be that anytime you find a basic principle that's working well in the business community, they stole it from the Bible. They might not know it came from the Bible. I mean, if you read the book of Proverbs and take everything seriously, that now, unfortunately, Solomon didn't always apply what he taught, but he, but inspired, inspired by God, he wrote the book of Proverbs. I'm going to say that every business principle that any business has ever applied through all the years is based on something in the book of Proverbs. I mean, it comes right down to your ethics, your attitude, your mindset, how you treat people, all, all of those kinds of concepts, listening, being careful what you say, don't be a fool, be wise, all, all of these kinds of things. So I like to say that you can take anything from the business world, just make sure you put it through a biblical grid. Make sure it's not in pure violation of scriptural principles, like the money thing or the greed thing. Well, I mean, what, why is somebody in business? They're in business to make money, pure and simple. So what does the Bible say about money and greed and balance between serving and sometimes giving it away and not charging anything, as opposed to make everything you can, get everything you can out of anybody uh, so you can make a lot of money? So as, as long as it's going through a biblical grid and you're measuring it with scripture, I think you're fine. I have difficulty, honestly, Bill, with people that say, oh, that's just a business principle. That's just a, and I say, well, it might be a business principle, but if you can find it in the Bible, let's call it a biblical principle that the business world has adapted or adopted. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, an old Arthur Holmes, the Christian philosopher from Wheaton College. Mm-hmm. Uh, his line is, all truth is God's truth. Exactly. And uh, I suspect I suspect Arthur Holmes stole that line from something St. Augustine would have said (laughs) somewhere in there. It all comes back to him. If you read City of God, eventually you find every quote that is a meme today. Like, I think Augustine thought that first. But, you know, I really appreciate that, that uh, we can draw uh, encouragement from a lot of these books um you know but but we always have to run it through a filter and it is true there are certain things that are in the bible that are in the bible for not just sometimes we tend to think of these rules or uh laws is god just sort of taking some of the fun out of life but um i always i always uh whenever someone plays like uh relationship bingo they're like oh i didn't know you knew that person oh yeah that's my cousin i always will interject and that's why you never gossip because you never know who knows who it can be a career ender a relationship ender you know the bible when it speaks against bearing false witness or or uh, tearing other people down especially behind their back that's not only uh, immoral and ungodly thing to do, it's just downright stupid as well, yeah, and it can ruin it your career. Never say anything you wouldn't be willing to have the other person in the room hear. So it still might mean you say some tough things about a person, but, right. you know, you handle it well. Well, that would be a specific example of something from the Bible that companies have applied. In fact, I heard, and I might have read it, that Dave Ramsey uh, if gossip is going on in some aspects of his business, he will fire somebody over that. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's absolutely, that's a high value. We don't gossip. We don't talk about, well, where did, where did the idea come from? It came from the book of Proverbs. Yeah. I, I, uh, I did a sabbatical at a church in Northern California, great church, and uh, one of the pastors told a story when one of the uh, staff members, I don't know if it was at that particular church or a former church he had served, he didn't name any names or any details, but he said this person was constantly sort of complaining about other people on staff. And so they came in and told him about something that the other person had done. And so this this uh, pastor shared the story. He says, I pulled out my phone and I immediately dialed that person, put him on speakerphone and uh, and said, hey, I'm in the office with so-and-so here. And uh, they were saying that there was some misunderstanding between the two of you. Can, can you pop down to my office right now? Oh, sure. And uh, it put a stop to that behavior. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've said it this way. 
The problem is we talk about people, but not to people. Yeah, no, that's that's true. You know, it is interesting. You think of even things like today uh, issues that have become very big issues in corporate America around practices of, of discrimination around race or um, or mistreatment of people by gender mm-hmm. and the scriptures speak of this stuff there oh, is yeah. there there are principles in there that uh, even I was thinking uh, not that long ago because another news story broke just uh, not uh, just a day or two ago about a another named Christian person of influence who had committed some sort of sexual, harassment misdeed and if someone's listening to this podcast two years from now that'll probably be someone from a week from the time they listen to it right i mean it's just perennial stories however what's paul tell timothy hey treat women like they're your sisters or your mothers or your daughters and if a woman feels like she's your sister or your mother or your daughter you're not going to be treating her inappropriately yep well, there's another example. Yeah, there, the sexual harassment thing is based on scriptural principles. Well, let's talk about uh, one of my other favorite books you wrote. Uh, one of my favorite just general books on leadership is Mistakes Leaders Make. And maybe it's because I, I love the negative side of it. But what are some of the critical errors that uh, are are totally preventable but Leaders do tend to fall into the cavern of that mistake. What are some of those common things, and what would you suggest they do about it? Well, I think I don't have the book right here in front of me, and I don't want to step out of the thing. That, my bookshelf is just to the left of me here, but I, I pulled this one out. I alluded to 10 of them in the book, and what, what I did is I, at that time, I was on staff at a church, and I got, and I sent an email out to six or seven of the, the people I worked with and said, Write down some of the mistakes that you've seen leaders make that have really been costly and detrimental to themselves personally and to the organization. So I got a whole list, and then I went through and and I picked 10 of them. But since then, and at the end of the book, I think I listed, uh, here's another five or six that could be uh, fodder for a future book. There hasn't been a future book, but, and I posted on some of the ones that could be beyond the 10. So I of the of the 10, I think the first one is the, is the birth mother of all the rest of them. And that is when ministry replaces Jesus as the center of your life. When, as uh, Tim Keller talks about, ministry becomes your mistress or your functional idol. So it used to be Jesus. Everything was all about Jesus. (coughs) And then somewhere along the line, it became all about the ministry, the numbers, the size, the budget, the, the, you know, everything except Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the frog in the water. It happens quietly over time. We're all excited about him. And then all this stuff starts happening. All these people start showing up. They applaud us. They think we're wonderful. And then a, then a quiet substitution. One player leaves the field. Another player comes in. And it's almost like you're not even aware that it's happening. But somebody else can spot it. Well, you know, that is, it's uh, the terminology. I have served churches where, not the one I'm serving right now, but I have served churches where I've heard fellow staff members say, we need to protect the brand. And uh, and I remember even in those moments hearing that going, oh boy, that's that's not good. That This should be more than a brand. I mean, by all means protect the reputation of Christ, but right. protecting the brand and the reputation of Christ are not always the same thing. Sometimes sometimes you have to crucify the brand to protect the reputation of Christ if the brand is uh, in replacement. Well, that is, you know, that it is interesting so much of in the, in the current era, and I don't know past eras because I didn't live in them, so maybe maybe Charles Spurgeon had this same feeling in his gut too but in the era of christian celebrity and uh platform building and all of those pieces uh and i know as i say that some people's you know names come to mind but there's there's probably a thousand names that should be plugged in there they just haven't built a powerful platform they we just don't know them or maybe it's us so you know how how do we avoid um that replacement how do we how do we keep from 
uh, allowing the church to become our mistress, or maybe not the church, really, but the ministry. The, the ministry, yeah. Become the mistress. Well, How do we? What do we do? I, I had um, I had a guy over yesterday afternoon. A guy I've known for I married him ten years ago, and he he chimes in once in a while, comes over just to get together. And so he asked me that question. He's thirty six. Uh, he said, what would, what would you tell me to make sure that I stay on track and don't, you know, don't get off, don't do something stupid? I said, well, I would put it, make sure that, that your, see, I'm trying to think the exact words I use, that your identity is in, it's identity in Jesus and intimacy with Jesus. Your identity in Jesus and intimacy with Jesus. And if the intimacy starts to wane or you're spending 15 minutes a day in scripture and prayer, and as a high level leader, you should spend a lot more than that. If the intimacy wanes, identity, then the identity is going to shift. So that I think it's the intimacy that keeps the identity and focus and, and keeps it clear. And your identity, your value, your worth is in Jesus Christ, nothing else. I've got a plethora of verses that I've memorized that keep reminding me about that. I'm going to tell you a quick little thing. Uh, that's impacted me for years since I first uh, became aware of it. Well, no, I'm not aware of it. I saw it personally. Uh, years ago, J. Vernon McGee, he still has his Bible tapes out there. A lot of Christians have listened to him over the years. He was the pastor of the Church of the Open Door in downtown Los Angeles many, many years ago. And I was at a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles and went to that church because I'd heard about it for so many years. It was open. So I walked in the back door, huge, huge, maybe one of the first mega churches in L.A., and uh, I walked all the way up to the front. I was in my 20s at the time, climbed up the stairs to the pulpit. And I, I thought, what would it looks like to stand up here and look at thousands of people sitting out there on a Sunday morning? And I stepped into the pulpit and there was a little plaque right in the middle of the pulpit. And it said, sirs, we would see Jesus. And I thought, whoa. So anyone who's standing up there is looking at that and thinking, hey, they came to church this morning not to see you, Pastor Jim not to hear what you had to say. They want to hear and see Jesus this morning. So make sure that's what you give them. You know, I'd, I'd heard, uh, I heard, I didn't know whose pulpit it was, but I'd heard that was on a pulpit. And yeah. uh, I had a, a friend who was a real craftsman when I was a senior pastor in California, and he made a podium for me. I wanted something very minimalist and, mm -hmm. you know, just wasn't right, right. big and fancy or whatever. And I wanted it just to hold the iPad. So I took a Sharpie marker and that's what's on the edge that only I can see on that podium. And uh, Beautiful. when I left that church, the guy who made it said, it goes with you. I made it for you. So <laughs> I still, I still use that podium oh, from time to good. time and we that they would see Jesus. Yeah. What a, what a, um, that, that really is one of those marked contrasts of Christian leadership is that it, it, if we're building a personal platform in my way of thinking, that's a very corrosive thing to your soul if you end up with a platform because of the way that you're serving Christ and they're like your situation where, where God has given you the opportunity to write books that people read and they enjoy them, then you use that for Christ, for his glory. But you never, you never step on the, uh, the, the cord that holds that life connection to Christ. And, uh, it's right. how many ministers and it's a sad one it's it's sort of like the married couple when they you know you've done weddings i've officiated weddings the couple is always in love right i mean there there's i don't remember a time where it wasn't so magnetic that i wanted to stand six feet away from them because i didn't want to get in the <laughs> middle of all that energy and so forth but you know there's a percentage of them and it's a sadly high percentage of them that may, over the years, think, why did I marry this person? Boy, I regret mm -hmm. it. Right. And uh, that can happen in marriage, and that can happen in ministry. And uh, I grew up uh, in my early days. I don't watch them anymore, but in my early days, I'd watch The Simpsons. And uh, there was a minister, I think it was the Reverend Lovejoy, who was full of <laughs> neither, which was the great irony and uh, at one point, uh, Homer calls him up over something, or no, no, Ned Flanders calls him up over something or another. And uh, and I remember the minister saying, Ned, have you considered exploring one of the world's other major religions? Because he was just annoyed at one of his parishioners. So just for those listening, that is not an endorsement or an encouragement no. to watch The Simpsons. <laughs> you, can use, you can use your time in better ways, trust me. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Um, 
so uh, along with this, uh, maybe on the positive side, because there's the mistakes leaders make, and I hope someone or I hope everybody who's listening just goes out and buys that, is how do we build for the long haul? And you talked about it in 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 your faith in Christ, but how have you done this? I'm, I, I want to be you when I grow up, Dave. I want to be 82 <laughs> and still swinging for the fences. So how, do, how does somebody listening in go, all right, I know I can't control how long I live, but as long as I do live, I'm going to serve the Lord with my whole being. How do we do that? Uh, you know, recently there's a verse that uh, I've sort of camped on that deals with this. And it's um, it's Deuteronomy. Um, hang on a second. Let me show. Deuteronomy thirty verse twenty. I'm going to read it to you from the ESV. Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him, for He is your life and length of days. I mean that verse is saying a lot. Uh, well, what do you what do you do to make sure you live a long life? You know, by God's grace, the length of your days. Well, love the Lord your God, obey His voice, and hold fast to Him. So, I mean, if I had a group of leaders around, I would pull that verse out and say, "Let's just take this verse apart. What it, what does it mean to hold fast to God? What it, what it, what do you do? Uh, the person who's holding fast is doing what?" And let's, let's start there. Are you doing those things? Are you so busy uh, in ministry that you're not holding fast to him? So is, in some way, shape, or form, you're going to come back to personal disciplines. I don't know how you get away from it. I will tell people, I don't care how brilliant you are, how many um, great ideas you have, what your vision is, your purpose. You've got a great team around you. It's all going to come back eventually to disciplining yourself to do the things you need to do, when you need to do them, whether you feel like it or not by God's grace. It's the execution of the things that you're always thinking about. So, well, I'm not very good at execution. And I said, well, then make sure you have some executors, not executors, bang, bang, shoot them, but people who know how to pull the trigger, make it happen, get it done. Make sure you've got some of those people on your team. If you've got a whole room full of dreamers, you can have the greatest ideas in the world, but nothing. the planes are never going to land. The sky's going to be full of planes circling the airport, and you're going to have traffic jams up there. So you got to dream big dreams, but you also have to be able to execute and make those dreams happen. But in order to do that, you've got to have, once again, your value and your worth in Jesus and intimacy with him. Well, I, I think that's uh, maybe the first time I've, I've heard someone claim a verse from Deuteronomy <laughs> for for their uh, their longevity. But, you know, it, one of the Bobby Clintonisms, if you remember, he would ask people, what's your favorite book of the Bible? What's your favorite story in the Bible? Because he, he had quite a keen insight into right. that. And so that's one of the questions I'll ask people in, in uh, Christian circles if I'm getting to know them. And I asked a, a, a pastor in Africa when I was on my last, I think it was my last mission trip to Kenya, which is some years ago. And uh, I asked the pastor, what's his favorite book of the Bible? He said, Deuteronomy. <laughs> I said, now there's a first. Nobody has ever <laughs> answered. De- why? I said, why? He goes, if you have Deuteronomy, then you know who God is and what he expects of you. I thought, that's pretty good stuff. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot. We kind of stay away from you know some of those books because they're all the offerings and the sacrifices and the lists and lists of kings and you know, but but the, you know you might have to go through some sand, but there's some gold nuggets in there too. There sure is. There there sure is. Well, let, let me ask you for those who know you, um, you know you you served a very large and influential church in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, people want to know the name of it can check your biography. Um, however, if you were coaching, let's say an up and just with that in mind, uh, if you were coaching a young pastor up and coming, and uh, and you uh, they they were they were passionate about ministry, maybe a little edgy. Uh, they were breaking new terrain, and so maybe both drawing negative uh, criticism, but also they were having a great impact. How would you coach that leader for the long haul to have both the edge, but also just that um, that Christ-centeredness to keep that? Well, Does I'm that question make yeah, sense? I'm, that was yeah. a big question. Yeah. There is... Um 
as a result of my experience at the church that you referenced, and we don't need to talk about, I don't want to get off onto that one. But uh, as a result of my experience there, my God, I, I, I got asked the question over and over and over. So what happened? What did you learn? Yeah. And so I'm going to give you a little, it's very quick, a little acrostic from, the, from ACTS, Acts, the book of Acts. Questions to ask. Who are you accountable to? Oh, yeah. That's the A. Are, is there true accountability, not on paper, but in actuality? Who has, the, ha, has been given the permission to challenge your thinking, to speak into your life, to question something without getting fired? C, confessional. Do you confess your sin when it becomes clear to you, or do you blame others and make excuses or rationalize it? Uh, T, teachable. Are you truly teachable? That was John Wooden who said, it's what you learn after you know it all that really counts. I've met a lot of arrogant 25 and 30-year-olds who think they know everything. And I said to one guy years ago, you're only, uh, even that time he was in his 20s, you don't have a right at 20 years old to have any opinions. You should be asking questions, not telling everybody what you think. So is, is he teachable? Is he asking questions or was he just pontificating or bloviating all the time? When he sits with somebody else who's had a little more experience, does he, does he really want to learn and grow, or does he think he knows everything? It's amazing how much people know when they're 30, and when they're 50, they realize how much they don't know. Yeah, I, I tell people that all the time. I, I always say, man, I, I loved it when I was in my 20s because I knew everything. But now as I've gotten older, I apparently have forgotten a lot of what I knew back then because now I realize how much I don't know. That's exactly right. And then the S is sustainable. Uh, is what you're doing, the pace you're going, uh, the expectations, the demands you're placing on the people around you, is it sustainable? Or is it just a matter of time that people fall over and start coughing up blood and get carried off to the hospital? And I've seen that, unfortunately. Well, that, you know, those are, those are really helpful. Uh, I, I love, I love that, uh, uh, the, I think one of the struggles church leaders have when when dealing with both accountable and is there some place are you honest and confessing? Scott McKnight wrote a book not too long ago called A Church Called Tove, and he really talked about one of the things I think a leader has to be aware of is that positive reinforcing circle because once people get around the campfire, they don't want to get jettisoned out of the campfire. And so they don't want to necessarily step in. So it's actually, this is the hard part, is the leader has to have enough courage and enough uh, humility to, to say, what are you all seeing? How are things going? How's my leadership? And boy, that's tough. I mean, it's, it's tough at any age of, of your life to do that. But, but it's a good yeah, thing yeah. to do that. Absolutely. And then people around the circle also have to have the enough courage to go you know what if i say what needs to be said and i get thrown outside the circle i'd i'd rather have that happen now i'd rather yeah, i'd rather do what's right totally. so here's a question that i've given to some of my clients i think whoever's listening to this could could utilize it so when you're sitting around with people that are your direct reports on your team ask this question how do you experience me mm. now You've got to have a safe enough culture that people are going to feel free to tell you, tell you that. The reason it doesn't happen in a lot of circles, Christian churches, paralocal church organizations, is that people realize that if they speak the truth, it could cost them their job or their position. So everyone basically shuts up and lets the car go off the edge of the cliff. Did we see the car heading for the cliff? Yes. Why don't we say something? Well, because we would have gotten fired or demoted. So you'd rather let the, so it's all about you. It's not about the church or about what's healthy. It's about you and what's going to happen to you. And that's, that, well, the problem is selfishness. I'm more concerned about me than I am anything else. Boy, and it is tough because you, you know, especially when it's your job, your income, your mortgage payment, your car payment, the private school tuition payment or whatever it is, boy, it is tough to, to step up and uh, i found myself that in that situation when i served a church up in wisconsin where very unethical things were going on and uh and i had just gotten there when i started to realize boy things are not good here and uh after one year i walked away from a position thinking uh i probably have just i really thought no i probably just destroyed my very calling and career but i'd rather destroy it Right. And just get a job in the marketplace 
right, than right. to be part of something that would shred both my integrity, but also was just wrong to be part of. And uh, and so God took good care of us and brought us here. And that's not always everybody's story. That's the, that's the sad right. thing. I wish I could say, and if you do what I did, it'll all work out even better. It doesn't. Yeah, sometimes. There is a there is a book, the best book, Bill, I've ever read on this topic, written by a military guy. It's called Courageous Followers. Uh, and you can find a book note on my website, but it but the subtitle says Standing Up for and Up to Your Leader. So it's that truth to power, speaking truth to power. Well, if you think about it in military terms, if you don't do that, you could be committing a war crime. So you could end up in the Hague for, uh, look at at what happened in Iraq with uh, the prison thing that that just was explosive and very unethical behavior that was beneath the American soldier took place because it took a lot for someone to go, hey, we really should not be doing this. But but we always have to be, it's very tribal. Uh, We we have to be very careful once we get in a tribe and a tribe and a brand and the brand and our and our personal brand and platform are intertwined and all these things, you know. Uh, some days I think, when, if the Lord should tarry three, four hundred years from now, when, when church historians are writing about the American evangelical megachurch movement, I wonder how I wonder which PhD programs will will compare it between that and uh, medieval. Uh, uh, Roman Catholic, uh, you know, you know the Borgias yeah. and the, you know, unnamed. So on the other hand, uh, sometimes I, I do want to kind of hit pause and go, we always come to these stories, but by and large, the vast majority of especially large evangelical churches are doing just incredible work, yeah. faithfully yeah. so. Well, that's the, the media gets a hold of the, the new, good stories don't sell newspapers or media. It's the bad. So they keep putting the negative bad stuff out there and everyone thinks that that's the way everything is. And unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Even when it was a John Krasinski did the the little news story during the, the pandemic that here's some really good things. I never watched any of those, Dave. I was still watching all the terrible things. Well, it's, it's our, <laughs> I am the problem. Human, human nature. Yeah, yeah, it is. All right. Uh, how do um, how do we prepare for the future? Uh, I mean, I, I know you're, you're in your way of thinking, you're always thinking a couple steps ahead with changing culture, changing uh, uh, ministry context. Uh, even with the pandemic, it's changed a lot of habits for people. How do we, what are some of the thoughts you're thinking right now of preparing for the future? Um, there's, um, I'm going to go back to a verse again. I think it's First Chronicles. I'm very, by God's grace, I'm very biblically based in the way I think about things. And yeah, so um, First Chronicles, turning to it here, I think it's 1232, and if my memory serves me right. Back it up, First Chronicles 15. Okay. So, verse 32, there we go. Uh, Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And then it it mentions 200 chiefs of all their kings under their command. But that idea, understanding of the times and then knowing what to do. So I like the idea of you, ha- you, re- you have your Bible in your right hand and you have your newspaper in your left hand. It's not either or. I read my newspaper to know what's going on. So I have, and I can read various news outlets and I subscribe to various things. But then I have my Bible in my right hand to know what does the Bible say about how I'm supposed to respond to what's going on. So if I don't know what's going on, I don't know how to respond. But if I know what's going on and I don't have a biblical framework, I don't know how to respond. So having an understanding of the times and then knowing what what my, what should my be my biblical response to what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, or anywhere else. Well, that's a that's a good word and encouraging word because there's so much that we can't 
uh, know about the future, but what we can know is biblical principles, exactly. and those have a those have a tendency to be timeless. So yeah, very yeah. good. Well, all right. Uh, last, here's my last question for you. I told you there was going to be a book question, so here's your book quiz. <laughs> you you get a year with the Bible and one other book. What book do you take? The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. That's a good one. Because that, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that the one that uh, kind of encapsulates his other ones? Exactly. He went back and picked up all of his previous books, kind of refurbished it a bit, pulled out the major principles, and he added a little bit more on. And uh, I, I, I did a book note so that you'll find it on, on the website under the book notes. It's 17 pages, the biggest book note I ever did. Most of mine are five or six pages. And I've sent this out to, to dozens and dozens of leaders and say, you take this right here because I reshuffled it, organized it under key uh, areas. And uh, just look at these principles. And once again, go to Scripture. I don't think you're going to find any of these pr- principles that are in violation of what the Bible teaches. And so, well, and as, yeah, I, as I recall, uh, Patrick Lencioni uh, would describe himself as a man of faith. He and, is. Uh, I've met him so, personally. So that makes that makes total sense. And um, uh, I, I like any time where you can buy one book and it's really like three or four books in one. That's good. But better yet, everybody who is listening, just go to Dave Craft. That's Craft with a K. Go to Dave Craft. Is it dot com or dot org? Dot org. Dave Craft. Dot org, and you can get the book notes, and you don't even know how to buy the book now. See? No, I I have over two hundred books uh, under book notes out that website where I basically it's not an outline of the book, it's not my thoughts about the book. It's basically when I read it, I highlight it, underline it, but I turn it into a document and then put it on the website. So you get the golden nuggets uh, from my position of that book. I am very excited to go to that part of your website and look that stuff up. You're okay. going to save me a lot of time, Dave. I bought a few executive, I bought a few executive summaries in my day, uh, just to well, plow through free. some of the required reading of ministry. You don't have to pay for them; they're all free. Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you well, so welcome, much for sharing your time again to learn more about Dave or to pursue a coaching connection with Dave, just go to davecraft.org. And uh, not only can you nose around and see all these great resources on his website, but you can also connect with Dave there. So Dave, it's been a real pleasure to have you, real privilege to have you. Thanks for being on the leadership journey today. Thank you, Bill, for inviting me. It's been just a gracious and wonderful time. All right. And thank you all for taking a bit of time and joining us on the leadership journey. Until next time, I'm your host, Bill Search. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for listening to Leadership Journey, part of the Group Talk Network podcast. If you like what you've heard, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more, make sure you check out smallgroupnetwork.com for more resources. Hi, it's James Browning again. I wanted to let you know that we have a big event coming out this July. We are combining our Align and Accelerate training workshops for small group point people just like you. Day one will feature Align, a training overview of small group ministry covering the big pictures and strategies of small group ministry, plus how to align it with your church's mission and vision. It's perfect for those new or returning to small group ministry. Days two and three are Accelerate, an intensive workshop that dives deep into small group strategies. You and your team will come out with a 12 to 18 month plan for your small groups. This workshop is perfect for churches who want to take their existing small group ministry to the next level. This event takes place at the Saddleback Rancho Retreat Center in beautiful San Juan Capistrano, California. Lodging and lunches are included. You have the flexibility of choosing to attend Align or Accelerate or get a discounted rate for attending both. Oh, and if you happen to be an all-access member, your whole team always gets 50% off. So we'll see you this July 11th through 13 at Align and Accelerate. For more information, go to smallgroupnetwork.com slash conferences or check it out in the show notes.